Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the program. I can't believe that our 2014-15 Sustainable Business Fridays series is coming to an end. We will be taking a break over the summer and resuming our series again in September. Luckily, you're in for a treat today, as Baldev Dougal is our guest. Some of you have likely tuned into our show in the past, but for those who are new to the program, I want to provide some background about the BARD MBA. We are one of a few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program with first year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab where they work on real-world sustainability challenges for clients. In recent years, clients have included UBS, Unilever, and Lockheed Martin. This year, we are working with Con Ed Solutions, HSBC, and Inward Point, a startup. I will now turn over the conversation to our MBA student host, Amy Califa, who will introduce Baldev. Welcome to both of you, and thank you for being here today. Thanks, Stephanie, and we have a really special conversation lined up with Mr. Baldev Dugal today. Um, Mr. Dugal came to America five decades ago with just a couple hundred dollars in his pocket and a passion for photography. Today, his photo imaging company, Dugal Visual Solutions, employs 250 people, and it's renowned for its fine quality print and digital graphics displays. In recent years, though, He's turned his sights from the static world of photography to the interactive realm of sustainable design and technology, and he's doing it in a really ambitious way. Mr. Dugal, welcome to the podcast. Well, delighted to be part of this. I have a first question for you. You know, many of our listeners are MBA students, and a lot of them are aspiring entrepreneurs. Yours is really a true American success story. But rather than seeking the riches of a Wall Street IPO, your path seems to be inspired more by art and humanity. Would you please start us by telling something about your early days, what, what brought you to America, and how you built your business here? Well, I came from India, and uh, it all got started when my grandfather promised me a brownie camera if I would do first class in my high school. Well, he did uh, keep up his promise. He gave me the brownie camera, but he failed to give me a roll of film. And I asked him, Grandpa, <laughs> what am I going to do with this brownie camera if I don't have a roll of film? He said, what did I promise you? I said, camera. So you got the camera, and now it's your problem. <laughs> and I think that started me off you just can't have a dream. You got to make it come true. You got to make it happen. And I joined a, um, a one of those uh, uh, photo uh, shops where they used to do uh, wedding pictures and portraits. And one day my boss was so generous, he gave me a sheet of four by five black and white film. And he told me to cut it and put it in front of my uh, Barney camera in the back in the uh, dark room. 
Well, I went out and took a picture which I dreamed out before the night before of a bullock cart on the uh, Punjabi sunset, uh, a, a silhouette of a uh, bullock cart where the guy was going home. I called it on his way home and that picture won a first award. Um, and I was, uh, I think, either 14 or 15. Um, and then I went to college, and there was a, a contest, local contest. Of course, I put the same picture because I had only one picture, but I did change the caption. I called it a Homeward Bound. I won another prize. And then there was a national contest. There was, I put the picture up and called it Sailing into the Sunset. And I won another award. <laughs> and I started to really believe I'm very good. <laughs> that this is not just going to be my profession. This is going to be my lifelong passion. And that's how really... I got started, but little did my grandfather realize that he was setting me up on a journey that would take me to the other end of the world. I, I started my uh, Dugal Visual Solutions in my bedroom, and I used to wash the prints in the bathtub, and it just took off from there. Um, a brick at a time to the company that I have today. Uh, then I took over the basement and from the basement I went to a near Bloomingdale. I took a, uh, a top floor of a designer building. In those days my rent in the basement was $65 but a year later, I was paying $1,600, which was a lot of money. Um, and that's where I created my first deep tank processing lab. You see, in those days, people used to process pictures and film because, remember, there was analog everything. Uh, we used to process in small three and a half gallon tanks. And um, I came up with the idea to build it in 55 gallon tanks. So they told me nobody has a tank. So I said, we'll build them. Then said, we need the hangers. Well, no, they don't make it. I said, we'll build them. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie Field of Dreams, they constantly say, if you build it, they will come. Well, they did come. In those days, Marilyn Monroe was very hot. Mm -hmm. um, Stern Magazine in Germany could not get enough of Marilyn Monroe. And you would not believe how many... <laughs> rows of films that we actually threw it out in the garbage. And now 
um, you know, she has become an icon. Most of the icons come and go, but Madeline lives on. So if you do have ever time to get lost maybe in New York and pop in my office, you're going to see Madeline Monroe's in my office. <laughs> and if you ever get to my home, you'll see Madeline Monroe's in my home too. Because I cannot forget, this is how it started. Wow. Well, and I'm sitting with Mr. Dugall in his office, and he has larger-than-life portraits of Marilyn Monroe that I've never seen before. They're gorgeous, of course. And if you could see this building, so what, what started in a little, little bathtub now takes up about half of a city block on West 23rd Street. Going to 24th Street, <laughs> and we have another city, and we have seven more buildings in uh, Brooklyn. So let's talk about Brooklyn a little bit. You know, you could have chosen to retire early from this business to a warm climate and enjoy your life. And instead, in 2011, you invested $5 million to transform a derelict building in the Brooklyn Navy Yard into a model of sustainable design. And it's just a dazzling stone and glass greenhouse that has become one of New York's hottest event venues. And more recently, you've taken over more space in the Navy Yard, refurbishing another old building to lead gold standards. Greenhouse got started because I saw the movie Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore. And um, I was really affected because I said, with all this work I'm doing and we're very successful, um, but this is something, a much bigger challenge. Um, after the movie, um, took my uh, kids to an Indian restaurant and um, told them, your dad is getting into sustainability. And my son stood up and said, Dad, you don't know shit about sustainability. Why do you want to do that? You're successful. It's time for you to go out and have fun go out and travel, and make speeches. What do you need this for? And uh, thank God the Indian food came in, and then I got a chance to talk. And I just told them, basically, you're giving me every reason why I should do it, because all my life, when somebody says it can't be done, it's like telling me, Baldev, you have to do it. And that's how I got into it, and then... I must say now, even though my original company is my baby, uh, but now my passion is in sustainability. So tell us a little bit about the complex in Brooklyn. What you know, what the what's behind it? I mean, it's you know, lead gold standards. What are some of the things that you had to do to measure up to those standards? Well, you see. Um, this building was dilapidated. All the uh, World War ships, this building was made to make World War ships. Mm -hmm. And um, most of the hulks of the ships were built, like SS Arizona, SS Missouri, was built in my building. But then um, United States government, in their infinite wisdom, like to dump it when they don't need it, and it was abandoned. And 
it looked pretty bad shape. <laughs> and uh, today we created a work of art. Uh, I could see how this could be. I love old buildings and maintain the integrity of the infrastructure, but build and skin with the newest material. So this is like new and old working together to make a better world. And it really, really is an example of exactly that, you know, just sustainable design. And um, I've heard that there have been fashion shows there with Alexander Wang and Dior and Beyonce and Lady, yes, uh, <laughs> Lady Gaga is, have performed uh, in the greenhouse. I think uh, IBM uh, is doing this uh, starting Monday. They're there right now um, to introduce uh, new computing. And so um, we are having uh, really very well received by, um, and everybody said nobody's going to come to Brooklyn. Actually, some reporter in New York Times almost made a point that this ain't going to work because nobody's going to go to Brooklyn. Well, I'm going to repeat that again. If you build it, they will come. And they did come, but what we did is instead of having them come by taxis or subways, we have a, um, a boat service at uh, 35th Street, brings you in 10 minutes right in front of my building. Uh, there's something romantic about coming by boat. Uh, and uh, the inside uh, is amazing. Where do you find buildings 75 foot ceiling height? Uh, on the water, and uh, then I wanted to make it, call it a Dugal greenhouse. So we had some a French couple who was amazing. They built a vertical garden, not horizontal garden that we used to. And I tell you, my only problem is that every week we got to give it a haircut <laughs> because it's <laughs> moving so fast. And the only water we use is basically from rainwater. And uh, sometimes we don't. We have to cut out the food because if we give more food, huh, they will just keep expanding. So um, it was like daring to do different things and not quite knowing it. But, you know, that's how innovations work. You have to come up with an idea. You have to come up with a dream. And then the fun begins. Now you got to make it happen. <laughs> well, you're you're having too much fun, I think. You've got superstars in the greenhouse, but that's not enough. So you recently won an EPA Environmental Quality Award for another venture, the Lumi Solaire Street Lamp, which is designed and made right in New York City in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Can you tell us a little bit about what is Lumi Solaire and what risks does this type of technology address? We wanted to do a, a light which is with minimum amount of maintenance. Uh, and the other thing is because uh, it's a global village, it's not just about United States of America, um, we need to light up the rest of the planet, maybe one Lumi layer at a time. Mm -hmm. But one of the things in third world countries is 
that everything that moves or has any value, even though infinitesimal, it gets stolen. And frankly, then you don't want to solve one problem and create another problem. And I'm a great believer, so even though in 2008 is when I saw the movie of Al Gore, it took me good six years to come up with something that I absolutely believe, not I believe in it, it works, it's been proven. Uh, and what we did is instead of putting the technology, which is invariable when you see any kind of off-the-grid or on-the-grid lights, um, you will find the electronics is situated in the base. And these are street lamps, just to the street clarify. Lamps. They're not desk lamps. They're no, big outdoor street lamps. Uh, and uh, the problem is when you have a flood, the first thing that hits is the base, and somehow electricity and water are not very compatible. So what happens is that uh, the lights are off. To me, that makes no sense. The whole thing is that you want to solve a problem, but you want to not just solve it, you want to eliminate it and move on to other problems. Well, we figured out a way to put it on top, but still maintain the integrity of the beautiful look I want. Now, I think somebody has to be pretty crazy to take a 25-foot ladder to go up there to see something they don't even know what it means. <laughs> uh, I just don't see that happening. And the other thing is, um, the beauty part of it, because it, it is a work of art, uh, and I have not seen anything, and we continue to monitor what anybody else is doing, and we haven't found anything that even comes close to it. Um, and now I'm working on the next project is Lumi Lantern. Now, Lumi Lantern, you would look at it, you would never imagine it's a solar lantern. Um, it's portable, it's can, um, about, I think it's 8 or 10 feet high only. My big street lamp is 25 feet high. Wow. And, um, but this is so portable, so no matter where you want light, you just bring it over. So supposing you're having a party uh, at the beach, now you don't need the uh, wires. You just bring it on, you have all the party all night long. And you have lights. I'm a very clean, a clear mantra regarding anything I deal with. It has to have basically three components. The first component is it has to be simple. If it is already simple, I'll make it simpler. If it is simpler, I'm going to make it simplest. Number two, it has to be a work of art, it has to be beautiful. Because I come from the art world, to me, I'm very passionate about bringing beauty while we're creating function. I think this whole idea of technology moving on its own is the reason we are in trouble. Because technology solves one problem, but usually creates 10 problems in its wake. But I think if we have art and technology working hand in hand, 
because the artists tend to live in a stratospheric world, while sometimes the technology people live in a more like a, a tunnel vision. And I think the two together, we can make a change for the better. The third part, it has to be affordable. So the first one is simple, simplicity, beauty, and affordability. These three things must, if it doesn't meet that standard, I won't even touch it. When I first met you, we had a discussion about immigration because it was much in the news at the time. And since then, uh, you've been covered in an article in the Huffington Post. Yes. And you coined a, a phrase that's quite beautiful. I wonder if you could tell us a, a little bit about that article. Well, uh, I would like to say integrate, not alienate. You know, many immigrants don't just bring their luggage with them when they come to America's shores. They also bring their determination. And yes, their dreams. It's the power of these dreams that will help America grow and prosper in the face of the endless challenges and opportunities our future holds. Um, I believe being an immigrant myself who came in with $200, a one-way ticket, and a pocket full of dreams, I could have never done or achieved even a small iota of what I've come through uh, anywhere else other than the uh, United States of America. So I really feel when I hear after 20 years of talking and avoiding the issue, um, we're treating immigrants, they are like immigrant aliens. It is their America, it's their home. When you are here for 20 years and you still call them illegal, I think there's a problem with us. We need to respect them. We need to open up our arms and welcome them because these are the, the immigrants who are going to make America to be the shining star on the hill. Huffington Post is doing something as of uh, May 15th, um, and they're trying to get about 10 million signatures, and I hope and wish them success. I hope they get 20 million. Uh, I'll be excited. But that's just something... It's the right thing to do. It's the right time to do it. Let's just do it. Well, human capital is such an issue now, and I think we, we have a lot of the big tech firms on the side of immigration these days, and so maybe things are going to change. But what, when we do post this podcast online, we'll be able to post a link to the article on the Huffington Post and a link to their campaign as well. I looked up your name, Dugal is a prominent Kshatri, named from the Punjab region of northern India and Pakistan. And the Kshatri were merchants, but moreover, they were protectors of the Hindu Dharma. They were tasked with leading 
and serving humanity. Does that legacy seem to be in your blood? Do you think it's something you inherited? Well, you know, uh, I, I must say, when I was in India, I was always thinking about America. Um, I had um, signed up at the um, United States Information Agency to send me information, and I think I got more mail than the entire community put together. Uh, and one day, they also wrote about the President of the United States. And um, I was playing cricket, I don't know if you guys know, uh, back home uh, is cricket, it's not uh, uh, baseball. And um, I was coming home, uh, coming to the school after playing the cricket game, pretty sweaty and uh, pretty hot. And that's when I had a, a daydream while I was walking, uh, to come to America, make more money than the President of the United States. And um, obviously, um, by the time Nixon came along, um, I was doing better than the President of the United <laughs> States. Uh, but going back to, to my heritage, uh, I think I began to appreciate India and my heritage more so when I came to America than when I was there. You know, they say it's always greener on the other side, but in my case, it definitely was also the case. But now I am so fortunate that that I love my I, I love being in America. I love being an American, but I love the values I bring to the table from back home. And those values are ingrained. I mean, you can take an Indian out of India, but you're not going to take the Indian out of him. <laughs> and that is with me, uh, and it's going to stay with me, and it's playing a very important role in the way I do things because I want to do things, but I want to do it a little differently. Like... Even when I run the business, I break all rules because to me, rules are made to be broken. Uh, I don't like to break the law, but I'll break the rules any time of the day. Uh, rules are made by people, sometimes maybe in stone age. We are in digital age. We cannot. So people have to be bold enough if they believe in something, lead it, not just talk about it. There's too much talk. Let somebody else do it. If you think it's the right thing to do, then it's your thing. Just do it. And this has been something I've been following all along. Uh, and the other thing I must say, I've evolved. We don't come back with all the package when we come in, all the smarts or anything. We learn. We make mistakes. We fall down, so you get up again. But you never give up. Just because you've fallen down, and I've fallen so many times, 
I think uh, my backside is um, now um, I don't feel it. <laughs> it's cushioned. And uh, the only thing I say to myself every time I fall, Baldev, you have to come in at least two inches higher when you come back. And those inches have gotten to feet into the miles. But I am not afraid of failure because I don't even like the word failure. When I believe in something, only two things can happen. Either I succeed or I get experienced. You only fail when you talk and talk and don't do anything. You fail yourself, and that's the most important thing. When you fail yourself, how are you going to reach out and make a difference if you can't take care of yourself? I think charity begins at home. Wow. Well, I have a couple more questions, but I want to ask Stephanie, are there any um, call-ins? Or Stephanie, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask Mr. Dugal? Well, I'm I'm just so enjoying this story, Mr. Dugal, and, and just you're very inspiring in telling us, you know, you came to the U.S. with $200 and what you've been able to build. I mean, your story is something I think that resonates quite a bit with so many people, except you've been much more successful than many, which is just so inspiring. Um, but at this time, for anyone on the line, if you would like to ask Baldev a question, please press 5 star on your phone. Again, that's 5 star, and I will um, call on you. Um, but in the meantime, while we wait, Amy, for see if there are any questions, you can go ahead with a few more, and then I'll let you know if anyone wants to ask. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about this when we first met. Um, in terms of spirituality, and you, you know, you are from India, and you've, but you've been incredibly successful in, in the United States, which is a really different culture. I myself have been inspired from, you know, by yoga and certain Indian practices. So how did, and, and for me, that is my spirituality, even though it's not how I was brought up. How does spirituality affect your life here in America, and, and what impact does it have on your business in terms of sustainability? I wouldn't um, talk about spirituality. I think I would like to talk about humanity. What's happening now that we are facing the digital revolution? The children are not looking up. They are not looking into your eyes. They are not even, they are looking on the left and talking to you on the right. They are so wrapped up with technology. And I really, I'm a great champion of technology. But I think we cannot let it overtake our humanity. Uh, so I was called in to make a speech, uh, the first speech in my life where I got actually paid in Hong Kong. And it was about uh, harnessing the digital dragon. Being in China, everything is dragons. <laughs> so I didn't tell them, but when I my speech, I made sure my speech was the last speech because people were tired out with all the, um, you know, mumbo-jumbo about uh, digital age. 
and I came in and I said, I am not going to talk about the uh, digital dragon because that digital dragon is already out of the box. I'm going to talk about harnessing the digital dragon. And, you know, and I now that I have an opportunity here, uh, I really believe that all the way through that this is the greatest time in our lives. We have more opportunities, more possibilities. What's going to depend on how we use this or do we abuse it? And I'm hoping, and I find, I must say, when I meet students and we love them, they come out of the college and we take them right then in because their DNA is digital. So, but what we have here, technology, is so far away, the most institutions wouldn't even hold a candle to it because we are so far beyond, and every day we come up with a new idea. But how do these ideas come in? They don't just always come through my head. Our clients, our clients, um, which usually in our industry people hate, is artist clients, because they consider them pain in the neck, and I think they some use another word too, but they actually, want the mission impossible and they're willing to go the extra bit to make sure they make it happen. And way back when I always found they are always welcome. Uh, I must say that does not bring the money to the table uh, what my corporate clients do, but they bring something more than money. They bring the uh, art sensibility, they push us and then push us a little bit more. But instead of saying it can't be done, which is the normal answer, oh sure, we'll do it. We stick our neck out. Now I'm not going to tell you that we hit every time, but we're getting better and better every day. So let your clients come first and you listen to them. So these, so it's clients are coming out with problems instead of saying oh, it's never been done, we just do it. Now we learn something, now we're ready for the next challenge. So I see it more of a challenge than an assignment or a job. Uh, because I think when you challenge people, you bring the best in them. When you just give them a job and assignment, it's boring. It's like a homework. You do it, ah, big deal. But challenge brings out the best in you. You move to heights that you never experienced. And, and then you realize you can do more, so much more. But you just have to take on, just because it hasn't been done, this world would not get anywhere. I've, People did not take some risks. Yeah. And to me, a life without risk, uh, to me, is very empty. I, I think if you want to do something, just the only thing I would say, instead of taking risks, take calculated risks. Mm -hmm. Just don't go out and gamble. That is stupid. 
And how do you inspire this in your staff? So when an artist comes to you and says, I want you to try to do this, how, how do you get your staff to rise to that challenge? Well, I tell you, I don't have a business without my employees. That is the best asset, the biggest asset I have is my people. Uh, they take the craftsmanship of yesterday and combine it with the technology of tomorrow to create a balance between art and science. And they, you know, I must say, uh, you said 300 people, uh, you know, 270, uh, it's more. It's now, I think, 340 wow. uh, and going. Uh, but these people don't quit. You know why? My company is run like a family. Uh, and, you know, to me, it's so important that without these people, we could not reach the heights that we aspired yesterday or to the new heights which we are going to go to tomorrow. Uh, we can't do it. Because I always felt my business is selling happiness. If I make my clients happy, they come back. If I make them unhappy, they will not come back. Now do you say, then how do you make happy clients? Well, I have found unhappy employees do not make happy clients. Make your employees happy. How do you make them happy? Challenge them. Make them a part of it, not just somebody who just comes to work to get paid to pay his bills. No, to feel is a part of it. And people rise up. I'm going to see, I can tell you name after name, people who started as messengers who are pretty much at the top and people who have worked as um, salespeople and doing, it's, my company is full of that. And we have at least, I don't have stop counting, uh, more people over um, 70, 75. Uh, we have one person who is 85 years old because in my company we don't have a policy of retirement. My policy is very simple. You come to work, you have a job. You don't come to work, you have no job. Simple. <laughs> well, we, are, we just have a few more minutes left, so I'm going to ask you my last question, and then maybe Stephanie will want to jump in with something, or maybe we'll have a caller. Um, but to, to the listeners in this conversation today, you know, many of them are just getting started on a career path or they're mid-career, or they're like me who just want to continue on a path of building and supporting sustainable businesses and, and projects. What, what advice do you have in terms of, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and, and taking those risks? How, how do we get from here to there? We have to start looking at we are just not Americans, we are global citizens. And if somebody gets a, you know, sneezes out in China, Americans are going to catch a cold. So I think when we start looking at it in a more expansive way, 
uh, we will start to see things more clearly. Uh, one of the things, now that I'm talking about it, I, I'm going to bring this up. That's about solving problems. Be creative. I think no matter what you do, there are problems that you and I don't know what they're going to come up with. I've learned a few things about that too. I'm going to share with you. Number one, identify the problem. Sometimes it's not so easy to identify the problem because it's slightly abstract. Then part B is, what's the worst that can happen if the whole hell breaks loose? Number two, use the words yes, no, get rid of the word maybe. Mm -hmm. Number three, give it a time frame. Do not leave it open-ended. By my birthday, I'm going to achieve this. Or by Memorial Day. Give it a time. You're not going to hang yourself in case you don't make it. But make sure anything that's open-ended stays open-ended. Number four, open your heart. Let your instinct and your intellect work together. And number five, when you're looking at a problem from a very close-up distance, you get overwhelmed. Take an elevator. Keep going up until you can see the whole problem. Now you see all the players Chances are you already have a solution. If you don't, you at least see it clearly. The biggest thing to solve a problem is to know what the problem is. And this will work every time, all the time. No ifs, no buts, because I use that myself every day. Uh, because uh, I don't know what I'm going to be facing, but I'm prepared to face it. So I hope in one way or the other, it could be helpful. Well, and on that note, I want to be respectful of your time and our listeners' time. So, Stephanie, did, did you have any last questions? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> this is so fascinating, but I won't take up too much time. But just want to say to our callers, if you do have a question for Baldev, please press five star on your phone at this time. This is the last call for questions. Um, but if uh, while we wait to see if there are any questions left, Mr. Dougal, I have a question for you. So, you know, I will, everything you said resonates so much in just what our MBA program tries to teach, in addition to just the environmental side of sustainability but more the social as well, how to treat employees, how to value people, how that actually breathes into your business and the good it, it, it brings about into the world as a result. And there are a couple of things that really resonated with me. You said, of course, you said take action, don't just talk about it. Um, you talked a lot about investing your employees because I agree with you that's what you know, leads to happy customers. And then you brought up a really interesting point of no retirement age, which I think is so interesting in today's society where some people can't afford to retire and they are passionate about what they, want to, what they do and they want to work. 
So, so these examples and the other ones you brought up, do these um, values that you have come from your background, you would say, or are they born over time? What made you want to incorporate all this into the businesses you build? Is it um, what you learned at home, or is it just your observation of the world and what you think is needed? Good question. Coming from India, I believe in, as I said, simplicity, beauty, and affordability. So, in a nutshell, I would say to the people I'm addressing to right now, I hope they're hearing it loud and clear, it all begins with a dream. If you don't have a dream, you have nothing. And dreams do not come true. You've got to make them come true. Because I'm doing so many things, um, not every time I succeed in everything I do, I'm learning, but learning in real life. Uh, and so my experiences have been sort of very real. So whatever I have actually talked about today is not because somebody gave it to me. I earned it. Um, I worked on it and probably failed. And see, I always find, you know, when you're really out to do something special, it's okay to lose a few battles, but you must win the war. And there are going to be times that I've never seen anything that's really special that I did not have handicaps or problems and sometimes impossible challenges. But you know, you feel so much better at the end that you stayed with it and you know, you persevered and now you've also learned. And I think you cannot put a price tag on that learning. That's learning from experience. Um, and that's my life has been about is moving on. Uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, you get better. You just don't give up because uh, it's tough. Let the tough get going. <laughs> well, so much of what you do, as Stephanie just described, aligns exactly with the principles of sustainable business that we've been learning all year, and you seem to do it just very intuitively, what you call, you know, humanity, but... You know, you are a man who's not afraid of your passions and not shy about acting on them. And it's been such an inspiration for me to be able to have this conversation with you today, Mr. Dugal. And um, I want to thank you so much. And I really can't wait to see what you come up with next. <laughs> well, uh, you haven't seen nothing yet. We are just beginning. To me, in my life, there is no ending, just new beginnings.